A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, December 15th. After she was scouted in a modeling competition in Lincoln, Nebraska at the age of 12, Ashley Graham went on to break barriers in the fashion industry, becoming the first plus-size model to appear on the covers of both Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue and American Vogue. It started shifting the minds of agents, casting directors, art directors, editors to say, oh, this is where we're going. The zeitgeist is turning. And it's not just about what has been deemed beautiful for so long. Maybe we should think about what else is out there. This week on the BOF podcast, I sit down with Ashley to learn how she became the most recognizable face of a global cultural movement and to understand the personal philosophies that have guided her along the way. Here's Ashley Graham on the BOF Podcast. Greetings, Ashley Graham. How are you? I'm doing so good. I'm so happy to be here with you. I know. We've been talking about this. Do you know when we first had this conversation? 
The Nancy Dojaka show in London Fashion Week. I think that was back in February. That's when you and I first started plotting for this conversation. I know this has been, it feels like a long time coming, but I'm also glad that some more exciting things have happened in the industry since. So um, even more to dive into. (laughs) Amazing. Well, we're going to get to all of that meaty stuff. I want to start though with, as always, your personal journey and Nebraska. (laughs) Where I think everybody still thinks I reside. (laughs) Apparently you don't, but no. It is a big part of your story because that's where you started your your life. Tell me about life in Nebraska and what's Lincoln like? Well, life in Nebraska is, I have to say, easy. It's a wholesome place. It's a great place to raise a family. I have to say there's not a lot of diversity. I had a culture shock when I started modeling and traveling and I was like, oh, wow, like different cultures, different races. Like it was really enlightening. And and I have to say, I felt like I got more out of traveling than I ever did just truly living, you know, in one place, which you hear all the time. But what I really got out of living in Nebraska was the hardworking ethics that were instilled in me, not just alone from my mom and dad, but from the lineage that I had come from, which was a farm working family. So growing up, we would go on the farm, go to my uncle's house, on his farm and we would help lay pipe, you know, pick ears of corn. And it was always an interesting summer. Those summers were some of the hardest summers ever. You know, that sounds strangely familiar because I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So like near farms and, you know, my cousins lived in a small town called Raymond, Alberta. And it was near this town called Tabor where they had corn. And the summers were so amazing. You know, the summers were hot and like, like lots of grasshoppers and sometimes they were super <laughs> dry and like, but so what, you would beautiful. do that. Yeah. You would do that every summer growing up. Just about every summer we'd go to my uncle's house for a couple of weeks, but Mind you, my mom's from Nebraska. My dad um, is from Mississippi, but we moved around a lot. I lived in Texas, Atlanta, Arkansas, and New Hampshire. And then I moved to New York City when I was 17, but had already started modeling at age 12. Yes, I heard that you got scouted at the age of 12. Does that happen often? You know, nowadays, this is, you know, the dawn of no social media. Can you believe there was a time before then? I mean, I remember it very well. And there was a murmur at my school of there's a modeling casting happening at the mall. And so my dad was like, ah, let's just go check it out. We had just moved to Nebraska. I was in eighth grade and I was already five, nine. I was a size 12. My body was curvy, like, uh, like, like you want to talk about hourglass? Boom. And it was dangerous. And so we went into the mall and sure enough, there was like, it was a cattle call of everybody and anybody. And, um, I got approached in the line and they said, Oh, we want to see if you want to model for us. And it ended up being one of those like 
quote unquote modeling schools that now we would look at and be like, that's a scam. Don't do it. John Casablanca's are one of those ones. One of those. Exactly. The Midwest of that. And the guys that actually had the agency, they were legit. They weren't like scammers or anything like that, but they put us through this rigorous, what they called modeling school. What do you bring in your bag? Which at that time you have to bring your brown boots, your black boots. You've got to bring your open toed shoes, your close toed shoes. Shapewear wasn't really a thing yet, but you'd have to bring multiple bras, even hair products, just in case the hairdresser didn't have what they needed and makeup. So also they expressed to us like how to, or they would show us like how to do different expressions and this and that. But that turned into a great opportunity because we went into this thing called NB Expo and it was in Texas. And I ended up winning the model of the whole expo. Wow. It was amazing because I didn't know what that was going to do was give me a contract, a modeling contract with Wilhelmina Models in New York City. And that was at the age of 13. Wow. So that really catapulted what has now become Ashley Graham, the model. Amazing. And so at that age of 12 or 13, were you already aware or conscious of your body type and were you already being confronted by the barriers that a very narrow-minded industry was putting in in the way of people who weren't the traditional, like, stick-thin, you know, wafy model? So to say the industry, to me, at age 12, 13 years old, I mean, I would say, like, what is that? What are you talking about? Because I wasn't a magazine girly. Like, I wasn't fashion. I was very, like, sports and arts. It was, like, all about theater and basketball. And I didn't know any model's name. Tell you what, I didn't even know what Vogue was at this age. It was not some dream, some passion of mine to become a model. But what I did face was the scrutiny of being a bigger person in school and being labeled as the big girl and, you know, having cottage cheese thighs and round arms and a lower belly and having to say to my mom, like, gosh, I just wish I could go shopping anywhere instead of the old lady section at Von Mar. And if you're listening to this and you know what Von Mar is, then you are from the Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there, it, it was just a constant. It's like, oh, prom dress shopping was hell because there wasn't anything. Like, I wanted to show my cleavage. I wanted it to be tapered into my waist. But, like, old ladies with a big belly don't wear things like that. And that's all that was readily available for me. So that really affected me. So when I started getting into modeling, it actually gave me this new perspective of, oh, just because the high school kids think that I'm not that cute, well, these people think I'm cute. So what's this whole thing about? And then then begun the career of what a quote-unquote plus-size model is, even as a size 12, which is ridiculous. So at what stage, you know, if you got signed by Wilhelmina at 13, and by the way, wow, I did not know that, And then you kind of, you end up in New York. Like, how did things progress for you from there, given that, you know, you are a curve model and you're a woman with these amazing curves? Like, what year was it that you arrived in New York and what was going on in the fashion industry at that time? And how did you confront that? So my mom and dad said, if you move to New York City, you have to make it. And I was dead set on making it. 
because from 13 to 17, I had been traveling to Germany, to London, and then to New York City, and then from other places. I had just shot a Jennifer Lopez campaign. She had a clothing line that had just launched. Actually, Tommy Hilfiger's brother helped her launch that, which I thought was really interesting when I went to the casting. And I was like, if I can do the Jennifer Lopez campaign, I can make it. I'm going to make it, mom and dad. And little did I know, making it in New York City meant that you can pay your rent, you can take a, ta a cab every once in a while, and you can eat. And sure enough, I was able to do that. And that was in 2005. And I had already now been signed with Ford models. And I had been with them now for two years. I signed with them at 15. And they took me under their wing and they were like, that's it. You're going to go on every casting. We're going to put you up for everything. But at the time, what was happening within the plus size modeling world was there was like the token girls, like there are now, the token girls of these are the girls that are working and everybody else kind of trinkles in and fills in the gaps. And it was catalog, catalog, catalog. Dot com had been kind of being introduced, but it wasn't as big of a deal yet. And the like golden goose was Lane Bryant. If you could be a Lane Bryant model, you have made it. And that was always a big dream for me. And sure enough, boom, it happened. And they put me on a billboard in Times Square. And that really changed a lot for me. That was right before I moved to New York. Actually, I'm trying to put the timeline together because my God, I'm 36 years old and we're going back in time, honey. <laughs> yes, we are. But there was, Lane Bryant was putting on these huge, beautiful runway shows with, and they were all curvy women in all lingerie. And I mean, like they put money into it. It was the plus size Victoria's Secret show. Aerosmith performed one year. Like I remember going out to dinner with them right after. Like it was a big deal, but it was only this one brand and it was only these few models. So I just told my agents, I said, I will do whatever it takes to be number one. I want to work. I don't want to say no. Work, 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 work. And that's exactly what I did. It's that work ethic you were talking about from when you grew up. And that, you know, I think sometimes people take for granted just because the fashion industry has its glamorous aspects, it still it still requires a lot of hard work. Okay, so you're signed with Ford, you get this big Lane Bryant win and campaign and shows and like you become a major girl for them. But there's a lot of the industry that's not accessible to you mm -mm. or not open to you. And I think back to 2005 and I just remember that was the time when Prada and other European brands were putting out a very, very narrow, very specific, almost all Eastern yes. European girls who all looked exactly the same. Not only were they skinny, they were all blonde, they were all white. It was an interesting time for someone like me, yeah. Daria was one of the girls that I always looked up to. I was like, God, she's a beautiful model. Yeah, she's amazing. I don't know if you remember Crystal Wren. Of course. Yeah. Her and I were best friends. We, it was like, we were two peas in a pod and I would come over to her house and she would teach me how to model. And we would look at magazines with Daria on the cover and Daria would have her like big bushy hair flying this way, almost like even Giselle. This is, you know, Giselle too. And then the body would be going that way. And Crystal would be like, do you see how she did that? And I'd be like, no, 
how do you make your hips go that way and your hair go that way? And so she would teach me how to do it. And we would actually be like in our underwear in front of the mirror modeling together. And that really instilled a lot of confidence in me, but we were only looking at these very, very skinny models doing it. But because I had come from a very confident home, I was able to look at my body in the mirror and be okay with it. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, this is mine and this is all I've got kind of mentality, but never, ever seeing my body in a magazine. That was, that was, um, interesting to look back on being so naive to the fact that I never saw a woman with cellulite in a magazine and never actually thinking about it until I was the one having the cellulite removed off of a retoucher's computer in one of my first lingerie campaigns. So when did you realize, you know, you grew up, it's so nice that you grew up in a supportive household that imbued you with this confidence in yourself and this assuredness that you are exuding today, which I've always (laughs) been really drawn to ever since you and I first met. But, you know, when did you realize that actually the industry was constructed around a very, very different model, no pun intended, of what's desirable? I think it all started hitting me probably around maybe 18, 19, 20 years old when I had already been in the game for a little bit and there were jobs that I was up for, but I was too big for. My size was too large. And a lot of them were like, you know, European catalogs or swimsuit kind of campaigns, different things like that. Mind you, I am much larger now today than I was then. And I was too big then for those jobs. So it wasn't about the industry and the impact of what is this doing to the women who are reading these magazines and buying these clothes. It was more like, what is this doing? And I took it personally at first. And then I realized, no, this is a business. And how can I be a part of this business? Because my father is a businessman. He's just always picked up different contracts. And I saw the entrepreneurship in him. And then also from growing up with a farmer background, like it's all very entrepreneurial. You are your own boss, right? What you bring to the table is what you get back. So there were moments where I was like, do I need to lose weight? Should I lose weight for this job? And every time I would think about trying to do it, I would just gain a little bit of weight because that's how my, I look at a carb and it goes on my hips. So I knew that that wasn't what I needed to do. What I needed to do was just keep moving forward and put my head down and do what my mother has always told me is treat people with kindness and be positive about the situation. And I think it was probably in 2009 when the commercial I was in for Lane Bryant was banned from TV because my body was deemed too sexy and too hot for nighttime television. What? <laughs> yes. Wait, wait, so, wait. Back, back up for a minute. because. I've never heard that before. So what were you doing in that advertisement that made them deem it too Too sexy? sexy? Because this is Lane Bryant. I mean, for people listening in Korea and Guatemala and South Africa, (laughs) Lane, Lane Bryant is a mall brand in the U.S., you know, and it's known for plus size clothing. It's not some like... It's not even close to Victoria's Secret. No. Lingerie. It's not even close to like a sexy girl brand would be here. Like it's literally like your simple jean shirt, 
you know, they would have, they have plunge bras, but like, that's for literally just for like a working bra. And again, this was a great client for me, one that I was always working for, but there's this big commercial that they wanted to put on nighttime television. I think it was during Dancing with the Stars. And I shot it and I thought, oh, this is sweet. This is nice. This is cute. Like in the commercial, my character puts on lingerie with a trench coat over it to go meet her boyfriend for lunch. And, you know, and then, you know, take it off because women want to feel sexy. This was the embodiment of like, you know, just another way to feel it at the time. And the network said, no, 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 no. You have to go back and you have to re-edit this because this is just too much. Meanwhile, we've got Dancing with the Stars on. We've got Victoria's Secret commercials. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Well, this moment totally catapulted the plus size industry and my career to another level. And this is where I really realized, oh my gosh, people really don't think that women my size, bigger, smaller, larger, whatever, are beautiful. And that's when it hit me because then I was the poster child for what a quote unquote curvy, beautiful body was. I went on Jay Leno. I was on every morning show. Like there wasn't like one network that didn't have me on to talk about why would someone ban you? How do you feel? And I'm like, I feel like the industry needs a shaking up. And this is exactly what we need to be talking about because there aren't enough opportunities for women my size and larger to be displayed because guess what? We're sexy too. Wow. Amazing that you had the presence of mind to see it that way because, you know, a lot of people would get really discouraged by that realization. What what do you think it is within you that helps you maintain that attitude, which is like, no, okay, it might be this way, but I'm going to change it. I can get above this. I even have, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I was having a conversation just this week with somebody who's my size, who's gone through something very similar. And she just can't rack her mind around the fact that like people are still calling her fat, ugly, old, and not desirable, but yet getting so many accolades. And it's my mindset because how I think about this is I think about all the other women that look like me, that have different bodies, that are uniquely different. And I think about what are they going through? And I don't want them to have to go through that. Put it on me. I come from a tough family of mindset and hard work that for whatever reason, I can handle it to a degree. I have gotten sad. I have had my down days where I don't feel my best or you know, there's the comment out there, like I'm not superwoman. But I really truly think about the industry at large and how I'm not gonna let these little moments get to me from getting to the next level. And not just for me, but for the next generation. I don't want young women feeling bad about their bodies the same way that I did, even remotely. Right. But it's happening. Social media is really, you know, killing a lot of that. It sucks. We'll be right back with more on the BOF podcast. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So, if I understand correctly, there were two covers. The Sports Illustrated cover in 2016 and the American Vogue cover in 2017. Would you agree that that was like an inflection point for the industry in terms of like the way they see body types, one. And two, what role do you think that has played in the shift that we're now seeing in the industry? Maybe we're not perfect yet, but there's a lot more awareness now about body positivity. Like what did those two covers signify for you at that point in your career? Well, 2000 and. 15 was a pivotal year because it was the year before Sports Illustrated, where I think they were kind of vetting me to see if their viewers liked me in a campaign for Swimsuits for All. And that blew up. So it was a good test run and a good proof point of 
We're not just doing this for women. Like men want this too, right? Like this is for everybody. So when the Sports Illustrated cover came out, I mean, that was to this day, the most pivotal moment of my career in the larger world. But then 2017, the validity of being on a Vogue, American Vogue cover to show the fashion world, like, see, we're doing more than just the body issue every year. Because that's what was happening when I had moved to New York in 2005. There was always this body issue. And then there would be like the one token plus size model that would hopefully maybe get it. But then they started giving it to celebrities and they forgot about us plus size models. But what I think happened in 2016 with Sports Illustrated, it started shifting the minds of agents, casting directors, art directors, editors to say, oh, this is where we're going. The zeitgeist is turning. And it's not just about what has been deemed beautiful for so long. Maybe we should think about what else is out there. And the problem I always had when I would show up on set is there would be one thing on the rail for me. Yeah. And it would either be custom made, which the cover of Vogue, it was a custom made Prada look which I begged them. I was like, please let me take these shorts home. I just, I want to wear them around my house. But as I did that, I thought, oh no, if I take these shorts home, the next plus size model who's going to be in the next editorial won't be able to wear them because there's only this one pair of shorts. So I ended up not taking them. But I think it really started shifting everything that we have seen in the fashion world as one way, but what also really helped was social media and people shouting from the rooftop, this is what we want to see. We want to see bodies that look like ours. And at one point they were saying real bodies. And like, I was like, nope, we got to be careful. It's not about real. We all have real bodies. This is about seeing a diverse group of bodies. Because I'm not going to look at my skinny sister and be like, your body's not real. It's real. Her body is as real as my body. But this was about seeing a uniquely different cast of women because for so long, it's been ingrained in us that the smaller, the prettier, the smaller, the more elegant, the smaller, the more uniquely different and beautiful. And that's just not the case. No, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago that the Sports Illustrated crew was kind of scoping you out the year before your cover with them in 2016. Can you talk to us a little bit about the casting for the American Vogue cover? Like, what did that involve? How did that actually come to pass? And why did they choose you? I think that American Vogue has always been on the cusp of, or they've, they've always been really good about being a part of like what's happening right now. And I had already been a couple of years prior. I had one page in American Vogue and it was about where does Ashley shop? And it was like, I, you know, I took them through New York city and where I go shopping. One of those articles. So it's kind of already on their radar and Crystal had already kind of shot for Italian Vogue, I think. So there was always kind of like, oh, okay, okay, they're not all the same, you know, da -da -da -da, conversations. And then Sports Illustrated happened. And then after Sports Illustrated, Kareen Rotfield put me in an editorial of CR and that was like major. Like, and then I think people saw me outside of like the sexy bombshell, like big hair, big tits, big ass, like, oh, she can also be fashion. And I think that not just that story, but around that and some other editorials similarly, not as big because CR was major, 
Vogue saw that there was an opportunity for monetizing a size as well as different races and ages. And if you look back on that cover, it's Luen, Kendall, Gigi, Adwa, and Iman and I. And yes, we check a lot of the boxes. And I think that for American Vogue to not check a curve box at that time, not that they would have been scolded, but it would have definitely been like, hmm, is there something missing? Why not get ahead of it? And I'm so glad that they did get ahead of it. Although it got some stupid press, it was absolutely ridiculous. People were saying I had I had my hand down and all the other girls had their hands up and they were saying I was trying to hide my thighs. Meanwhile, that is not what I was doing. I was trying to be different than the rest of my cast. I wanted to stand out. So their hands are up and my hand is down and I thought I stood out, but whatever. Tomatoes, tomatoes. And I, I've always said this in the beginning of my career, like with Sports Illustrated and Vogue and all the other covers, I'm so glad they took a chance on me. I'm so glad that they saw that there was an opportunity there because I feel as though the impact was so great for other plus size models, for the industry to have a breath of fresh air, to kind of like have this new this new world that they could go in and discover. And also, not for nothing, hello, business of fashion, to make a lot of money. Right. Because there is a lot of money to be made when it comes to sales within the plus size fashion world. So Ashley, like if we forward up until now, it's 2023, sometime now since you first got your big break, sometime now since you were discovered in that shopping mall, like... In what ways do you think the industry has changed? And I'm using the word industry now because as an experienced model, you know and understand the industry. You were just referencing the business of fashion. And in what ways do you think we still are facing some of the same challenges and barriers for the kind of diversity we want to see when it comes to bodies in our industry? This is a very big question because there's so many different levels to it. And I think we have to start with the fact that this is a very emotional business. When we're talking about the emotional currency attached to clothes for, I'm going to just talk about women because I'm a woman, but like what that means to us, if you're going to make clothes for women that fit us, that are made, that are tailored to us, and I'm talking about every size, then Think of how powerful that emotional currency is going to be as you continue on in your career, as a mother, in your daily life. And that leads me to why are there still not clothes available to us at every size? And I'm not calling out designers, but even some of the designers that have put plus size models on the runway, those clothes aren't available. What do you mean they're not available? Just explain what you mean. So like they appear, there's a look made for you or another plus size model and it's on the runway. One. One. Yes. One look. And then it's not put into mass market. It's not, you can't go online when this season is available, when this collection is available, you will not be able to find it. Or you will not be able to find any of the clothes that were on the runway in multiple sizes. And 
part of the reason that some designers are, you know, saying that they don't do it is because of money. And I think sometimes some of the designers aren't doing it because they don't want to go into this whole, like you have to change your grading system at this point. And I feel as though designers now need to have a complete full understanding of what grading is before they can go and start a collection. (laughs) And I might be totally biased, but I feel like there are so many designers that don't know how to cut around a breast or a hip or a butt because they just have not understood what that actually means. But let's just say there's one look, one plus size model, you may never be able to find it. And that's what I'm talking about. Make that, even if it's just that one look, make it so that everybody is, so that's you're able to buy it. But that's one thing that is a catch-22 because we used to never see plus-size models on the runway. So wait, but now, I mean, wait, wait a minute, because I want to dig into I this I told you it's bit. layered, honey. <laughs> it is layered. And I actually think if I was going to extend or push out or be a, maybe a little bit more blunt about what you just said, you're saying that the brands are willing to cut a look and tailor a look and create a look around that breast or that butt for a fashion show, but they're not willing to do that for their end customers. And that would lead me to believe that most of the brands are still thinking about being inclusive from an image perspective, from what they show on the runway, but they're not being truly inclusive in terms of the way they're actually running their business. And as you just pointed out, there's a lot of women out there that when they see someone like you or they see someone like Paloma or they see someone like Precious, they want to wear those clothes. They just don't want to see the clothes. Mm -hmm. You are exactly right. It feels performative it looks performative and it's hard for models like you mentioned and myself, because we all have these inside conversations with each other about the opportunity. We don't want to say no to the opportunity because we're saying no to a seat at the table that maybe we've never been invited to. And not just us, I'm not talking about myself personally, I'm talking about us as a community. And the moment you say no is the moment that maybe the chances are We didn't even know that that designer wanted to tap into that market. And I think Christian Seriano is a really great example of staying true to inclusivity and actually monetizing on it because he has done a fantastic job of building this amazing brand where everybody knows that no matter what I see that, I know it's coming in my size. And he's made a lot of money off of it because there is a lot of money to be made. And I think if there are more designers that understood that this isn't about you now being considered inclusive, this is about you just making clothes for the everyday woman who wants to support your brand as well. That's really what it's about. And also just making young people, young women feel great in their bodies early so that when they're my age and older, they don't have to go through the crap. So it's like, they could be fixing the problem right here on the runway. Yeah. That's one conundrum. (laughs) The other conundrum that I wanted to get your take on, because I really value your perspective on this, is around language. Like we talk about the power of imagery and covers and, you know, campaigns. But what about language? I think sometimes in the industry people aren't sure how to talk about 
bodies of different shapes and sizes. Some people use the word curve. Some people use the word plus size. Some people talk about body positivity. I know sometimes you talk about body neutrality. I mean, we've talked about it all. What do you think when it comes to language? Like, what's your advice to people in the industry around how we should be talking about bodies? We shouldn't. <laughs> I you mean, got look, it. you got it. That's true. <laughs> you know? That's the point. That's exactly right. This is this is the problem. Is with this industry that we are in, that we love, that we hate, that we want to support, that we want to grow, is we put such an emphasis on these labels and these words. And I have been shooting from the rooftops. Why are we labeling our bodies based off of a number inside of our pants? That does not equate the worth of my work or, or, or the worth that when I show up to my job, what am I actually creating with you? The problem is, is that what happens is if we're not talking about size though, then the customer isn't actually being catered to. And that's what I've realized is the more I want to not be labeled, the more I don't want to, you know, have this word plus size over me because it's not one that I identify with. I'm almost having this this internal battle of like, but wait, when I go and I look for clothes my size, they're not there. So then what do I have to do? Do I have to shout from the rooftops? Like, where are my curvy clothes? Where are my plus size clothes? So it's like, I, you know, there has to be a middle ground. And I think that for the experience for a woman who is a size 14 or larger, when she's online shopping, you know, it's becoming a lot more, right? There's a lot more availability, whether it's high end, low end, whatever. And the brick and mortar world, you know, needs a lot of help, I think, when it comes to a curvy woman going in and, and buying clothes for herself, because you know, talk about language, talk about experience for her, go into some of these department stores, you have to walk through the food court to get to the plus size section. It's absolutely ridiculous. Or now it, it was that way. And now it doesn't even exist. And you can't even go shopping. So it's about how are we treating ourselves? How are we speaking about ourselves? And why does it have to be dirty words? Why can't it be empowering words? And um, there's still so much around the sexiness of a curvy woman and less about like, this is just her body because we're not overly sexualizing all of the straight skinny models all the time. But for whatever reason, that's exactly what our bodies have constantly been. And part of it is because there aren't any clothes available, but there are pearls, there are diamonds, there is fragrance, there's makeup, and there are shoes. Mm -hmm. That's always available because that always fits. Can I ask you, what do you think the like rise of someone like Kim Kardashian has done to the way our industry sees different body types, but also just like, you know, she's someone with like hundreds of millions of followers and... I see her body and the way it's celebrated by the industry now and it kind of embraced by the industry. Is is that a good thing for the industry that, you know, we have these people who are completely from outside fashion who have these like no fashion brand has 400 million Instagram followers. So they're, they're, the messages about bodies are coming from different places, not just the industry. Well, first of all, I love Kim. I think that she is a great representation of hard work and coming from not nothing, but coming from, you know, she had a platform, but then turning it into what she has, that's a businesswoman. I applaud her. 
But where I think the fashion industry is lacking is in the celebration of every kind of body and not the celebration of one look or one desire. This is about understanding that God made us all differently. And why aren't we celebrating that aspect amongst everyone? No, exactly. I think that's that's right. And I think, you know, you said it best earlier where you said, you know, when we have to stop talking about bodies, that's that's probably <laughs> that, that's the point at which like it's just we've embraced the fact that everyone comes in different shapes and sizes. Yeah. And what I've realized is I'm going to be talking about my body for the rest of my life. Like this is how my career started. 12 years old, labeled plus size. I broke down a lot of barriers as the first for so many things. And I've done so much public speaking and spoken to so many women. My TED talk alone, I think, really embodied where we were almost eight years ago and where we are today. And you can see a small progression, but you know, there still is so much more to go. And if we start to just chip, we've chipped away so much. And I think that this next generation that we're building up, if we can really express to them and show them that like social media numbers don't matter, who you are as a person matters, and keep training them up to think outside the box, to have an open mind, to have an open heart, and it not just to be about the exterior, but the interior. It, I mean, they're going to be fabulous. Exactly. So we're almost out of time. But I always no, like to, let's keep I, talking. <laughs> well, we can. We can keep talking, but I just want to make sure I get some of the critical elements into this conversation, which is always part of our BOF podcast recipe. And that's to seek a bit of your advice. You know, like there's young women out there who look up to you and what you've done. First of all, what does confidence, beauty, and real empowerment look like to you for those women? Like you have this like ingrained sense of self-belief, which is contagious and infectious, right? But how does someone find that from within themselves? This is probably one of the number one questions I get asked. And what it shows me is that there is a lack of self, of self-worth and going in, inward. And I say all this Critically, because a lot of what people are doing right now is they're going to social media and they're looking for themselves in these other in these pages and they're they're reading articles and they're they're trying to figure out who they are in other people. And one thing that I never did was I never looked into someone else's life and said, oh, I am that. And that's who I'm going to continue to build myself up. And what I did was I went into self and I built up my confidence within me. And I took different experiences from my life, great, bad, ugly, happy successes, failures, and created my confidence through that. And I think if more people went inward instead of searching out for everything and really leaned into prayer, meditation, quietness, then they would have more of an enlightenment and confidence that they're desiring for than this constant begging outwardness. And I think that it's it's all easy to say, but it's a process, right? It's a process of 
constant work. And there are days where I love my body and there are days where I'm just like looking at it, grabbing my stomach and going, what are we going to do with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's just a process. And it's, and it's, it's not every day is beautiful and not every day is glamorous. Social media might make you think otherwise. It just is what it is. The final piece of advice that I wanted to get from you is for parents. And you talked about the role that your parents and your upbringing played in helping you understand your body, but also in helping you have the confidence. Like what's the role And you're a mom now, too. You're a mother of three. Like, what's the role of parents in giving and imbuing their kids with that kind of self-belief and confidence? It's so hard now because of social media. I have had this conversation with so many friends of mine that have kids that are now in college, high school, middle school, elementary, and babies like mine. Yeah. And they all say the same thing that with the older kids that it's it's the social media that's really shifting their mind and making them feel not worthy and not beautiful. But I always go back to how my mom really really raised us. I mean, I have two sisters, so I'm and I'm the oldest of three girls, and um, she never talked bad about herself in front of us. She never would grab her face or her body parts and say, ooh, we're going to work on this. And I think those in the moment weren't as impactful as they were when I got a little bit older. And I do remember saying things to her like grabbing my, I, I call it my side butt. It's like this part of my hip that does like a dip. Some people call it a hip dip. And I remember grabbing it and I was sitting in my bikini briefs and, and I said, what is this? And she said, oh, look, I have it too. And if you didn't have it, you wouldn't be a part of this family. And I mean, and that was middle school. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And I think parents don't realize the impact that they are making daily on their children with the words that are coming out of their mouth. And it's not even just exterior, it's interior. Like we look up to our parents until we realize that our parents are not superheroes Like we internalize everything that we're taking from them that they're giving us. And it really starts at home. It starts with the people that are, that are raising you, that structure you. And I, that's why I always go back to my mom and I'll never stop congratulating her because even in her lowest moments, she always still found joy. And that's where my joy is so, you know, infectious and confidence. And it was just a very body positive home. That's amazing. Well, let's let's hope that with your pioneering efforts and your continued focus on the matter, that we're raising a generation of people in this industry who see things differently. And maybe that moment will come where we're not talking about this so much. But I'm glad that you and I got to talk about it. I'm so th- grateful for your time. I know I, I kind of corralled you at that show in London. but it I just, don't care. But I'm so glad yeah. you did because, you know... Just want to leave everybody that's listening with this, especially designers, especially young designers. I love supporting young designers because they like supporting me. And I think that there's always this beautiful synergy when we both know that we're both getting something out of this because it's for the greater good of the fashion world. But the average size American woman, she's over 14. That's 70% of American women are over the size 14. 
there is such a gap in the market for designers to come in and make money, to make women feel good, to have brand loyalty with women who will always come back because you made clothes for them. And I think this being such a business podcast and not just a feel good podcast and something that's supposed to make you have warm fuzzies, like at the end of the day, like we're all doing business. Yeah. We're in this, we're in this to make people feel good, to make money, to change the world. And, and I think that if more designers understood where they were missing an opportunity for that, for all those things I just mentioned, things would really change and things would really shift in the industry. That is such a good point because designers, I always tell them like, you need to find a niche, like you need to find something you're known for. And uh, if they, it sounds to me like if they get the right grading and pattern making skills and they think more expansively about their customer, certainly more expansively than even the industry now tries to portray itself, then, you know, there's a big business to be had. So um, with those parting words, I'm so grateful for you, <laughs> Ashley Graham. I, I look forward to seeing you in the new year somewhere. I'm sure I'll bump into you at a fashion week or a dinner or something. I know. I hope we... Uh, bump into each other in India again. Oh, yes. Well, that was amazing. We'll, we'll have oh, to do that. We'll yes. have to do that soon. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ashley. So good to see you. Thank you again for having me. Of course. My pleasure. It's such an honor. And um, keep doing your, your the work you're doing. It's really important work. I'm really grateful for it. And I know lots and lots of other people are too. Thank you. You too, Imran. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. The BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF Studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. 